0: machine to machine uh, technology, which that's what we called it at the time, was showing uh, the capabilities between ordering a pizza off your phone and getting it delivered by a moped. Obviously now we call that Uber Eats or (laughs) Deliveroo.
1: Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. This week, our attention turns to making the cash registers ring as we stack them high and watch them fly in the world of retail. But for all the cliches about retail, the fact is that retail marketing is more sophisticated and more accountable than ever. The proximity to the point of sale and the moment of truth makes retail marketing particularly challenging and exciting in this day of data and technology. My guest today has built a career with a focus very much on the top line of sales and the bottom line profit in media, telecommunications, big box retailing and building a global retail network. He also sits on the regional board of the Chartered Institute of Marketing Please welcome to Managing Marketing, Chris Gilroy. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Darren. Uh, great to see you. Well, look, um, you know, I'm really interested in this conversation because I actually started in advertising at what was called a retail agency. And back in those days, because I'm talking last century, Chris, or last millennium, as, as some point people point out to me, Retail was seen as the down and dirty end of marketing, but a lot's changed hasn't it in the last 20 years when you think about retail. You know, when,
0: I, when I think about retail and, and in terms of uh, businesses, I think of it as the, the physical expression of your brand. It's where a customer is, is, is seeing your brand come to life. It's where you're putting your best foot forward in terms of what you can offer your customers in terms of products and services. And from a retailer's perspective, it's where you can really understand those customer needs. You can see your customers, what what, what segmentation, what demographic they might be. Um, how can I look at that customer over um, a period of time, understanding their, their life cycle? Mm. How can I market to them different products? How can I build loyalty with that customer and stickiness with them? So. Retail is very much alive, and um, now you've got, I guess, you've got more touch points in terms of communicating with the customer and you've got online as part of that journey. You've got the
1: apps and you've got uh, partnerships. Yeah, look, um, you're right, it's become more complex, but I think one of the things that's enabled that, and you you touched on on, online and e-commerce, but I think one of the things that's really helped is data. You know, the ability to be able to scale the knowledge that you have about your customer, whether that's through supposed loyalty programs, but, you know, almost all retailers have a way of capturing that data around their customers, don't they? Yeah, 100%. You're you're able now to understand uh, the frequency of visit,
0: Um, You're able to understand, obviously, the basket of goods that they're they're, they're buying, how often they're buying them, what the value is of them, um, and then you can absolutely upsell and cross-sell to them in a way that um, is going to be useful to them. You'll see online the likes of uh, an Amazon or um, offering you, serving up to you, what might be um, a, a suitable added purchase, a suitable added product that you have. Again, mm. that's something that we need to take better into um, our retail stores. And and to your point, you can do that with loyalty. So if I'm going into a supermarket and I'm doing my weekly shop, what am I more more likely to buy again? Is there something seasonal that I can be pushing to a product, to a customer? Yeah. Um, is yeah. there something that their family may be interested in?
1: Exactly. Because um, one of the things, Chris, is your career is not just like what some people might think traditional retail, you know, like supermarkets and, and, and the likes, but it's actually retail in service industries, which, you know, you had a long career at Vodafone, yep. where a lot of that time was really thinking about the customer interface through retail, wasn't it? But Vodafone
0: and telecommunications was, 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 uh, very advanced in in customer data, I guess similar to the banks and retail banking. So telecommunications, um, customers were signing up for 12, 24 month contracts. Um, You would have, uh, it was a a fast, it was still very much a fast moving business, new technology every year, customers were upgrading their phones. You're having to understand what was that life cycle of the customer? When should I be communicating with them? How should I be ke- keeping them warm? What does my brand stickiness look like? How do I keep being top of mind to that customer? And that's where things like you know, uh, um, sponsorships, um, value ads, um, such as uh, giving customers, again, things like access to rewards, to, rewards, yeah. to tickets, yeah. for concerts, for Formula One, for cricket, for... Uh, Wimbledon this summer in the UK. Yeah. Um, no, telcos, doing were really tel- tel- telcos were really good at that. Telcos very good at it.
1: Um, and I think better than banks. You know, you mentioned banks as part of that sort of services mm. business, but telcos, for some reason, immediately realised that it wasn't yeah. just additional services, that it was rewards t- for buying or, or engaging more in the services, wasn't it?
0: Yep. Yeah. no a hundred percent and then you're also as a as a marketing team able to focus your your attention to the right places as well so customer marketing was so important in telecommunications you have to be very clear on the on the amount of time and and, and, and efforts you put into customer marketing versus
1: acquisition Um yeah. I wouldn't. Well, Chris, I just want to go back because your start into marketing was quite interesting in that you didn't do a marketing degree. You actually did a Bachelor of Economics at the University of Northumbria. That's right. I was I was I, I, why, I, why economics, first of all, um,
0: I was very, very interested in uh, yeah, international
1: uh, economies and I'd grown up in Northern Ireland. Um, ah, so that's why the accent. I thought you were just putting it on for yeah. charm. <laughs> <laughs> you no,
0: know, I, I, um, I, you know, I, I, I remember my thesis at the time, uh, was about low cost airlines and their impact in local economies. And, um, Northern Ireland was this area of the UK that uh, it was hard to get a flight in and out of, um, until the, until e- the, the, the likes of EasyJet, Ryanair's, and British Airways Go, uh, at the time, um, started flying into into Northern Ireland. So it's very, very interesting what
1: impact that had on, on the place where I lived. And I think people have forgotten how disruptive that innovation was. You know, before that, the airline industry was pretty much a closed shop at a premium price. Yeah. And then the, the you know, Ryanair, I think, was one of the... Uh, Uh, one of the first innovators to to break that, didn't they?
0: That's right. Uh, Ryanair, which was again, was an Irish company, Uh, but you also had the British government had set up um, an incentive called uh, the Airline Development Fund. So again, that allowed I guess the Northern Ireland executive at the time, which went through the peace process, it was the first few years of the peace process, allowed them to incentivize new airlines to fly into the region. So again, it was interesting to see how that had a ripple effect um, across the likes of retail, farming um, and manufacturing across Northern Ireland. So, so that's what got me in the economics. I always remember my first summer, um, doing work experience then it was, which was with a company called Data Monitor at the time, which was a big multinational, uh, that works for like likes of Coca-Cola and lots of FMCGs. Again, on that data crunching, um, understanding customers mm-hmm. uh, and insights. So I guess that's what's led me then into
1: the marketing, marketing career and in fact into media which yeah. at emap you know so that's quite interesting because uh, media's uh, for me is uh, always an interesting position it's a bit of b2b the editorials often b2c you know it's, it's a, uh, a, a a quite a unique challenge isn't it from um, a marketing and sales perspective uh, listen uh, um, i was at emap at a time where it was
0: i think one of the biggest media companies in the world um, it was at a time where uh, I was a, I was in a radio station, the largest radio station uh, in Manchester. Um, we were doing partnerships with internally with the likes of FHM, Heat Magazine, those types of things. It was the start of music TV, um, and just the beginning of of, of on demand music yeah. online, um, and that's actually so. EMAP was a fantastic part of my career. Um, very much I. I I loved uh, the partnership side of it, and that actually brought me out, that brought me out to Australia originally.
1: Oh, right, when they uh, expanded into the Australian market. Yeah. And then a jump across to Fairfax with the Sydney Morning Herald. So you've got quite a good foundation in media.
0: I've got, yes, thank you. I love media. I loved, um, at the time, the physicality of the newspaper, the supplements, those products. Um, Fairfax was a, a, a great part of my career. Um, I managed the food and wine category, um, Good Living, and the Good Food Guide, um, and also took that online, took the clients online to across Fairfax
1: Digital. And then we met when you moved to Three, Hutchison Three, was when uh, I think we first worked together.
0: Yes, Hutchison Three, a uh, hugely innovative business, it, it had a startup culture, um, very creative. And Hutchison with the uh, and during our time there, we were very much working with our media agents and the publishers directly to to test out new again advertising products. So, for example, with the Sydney Morning Herald, we would have done homepage takeovers. We were probably one of the first brands in in Australia at the time. To do video advertising and pre rolls for news yep. stories. So again, I
1: I I I, um, I was very much so media first. Me, media agency, first. The agencies love to have their media first. Me,
0: me, media first, and, and and I guess always trying new things. Mm. So uh, I was always working with publishers um, to try and understand well what what are you working on? What what can we? How can we be bolder as a brand? to get the attention of our customer. And it always goes back to that. It's, it's how do I get cut through? Mm. You know, so uh, we get so caught up in the day-to-day of, of product marketing and uh, product and price and offers and um, your, your, your calendar of activities based around that. It's what, actually how do I get cut through? how do I grab their attention in a way at that moment, but also in a way That makes it memorable, so I stay top of mind for longer.
1: Trinity P three. A lot of people will probably have forgotten that this is at a time, you know, less than a decade after the Australian telecommunications market had been demonopolised. You know, they actually had to have a survey of uh, customers to choose between Telstra and Optus because Telstra had been the dominant and only monopoly player up to that point. So, you know, we're talking about in this market when when Hutchison 3 were launched and operating, it was still a very young competitive market for telecommunications. H- hugely, and that was
0: uh that's what attracted me to it, to be honest. So, you know, um, Hutchison Three was a challenger brand. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the same way, Virgin would have been to Virgin Airlines would have been to, Brit- to British Airways. So uh, Hutchison had that startup um, innovative culture within it. Um. uh the teams were you know I was building a team there from 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 scratch, trying again, new channels. So yeah. you know, starting out, I think I think uh you know, we were, at the time, still building microsites for every campaign. We were building widgets. Ah, <laughs> uh, we the bu- early
1: days of digital. We, we <laughs> were the early days of
0: digital, that's right. Uh, all sorts of things um, uh, to get our customers' attention. Um, and... Um, yeah, it was a. because
1: f- yeah, well, I think that was uh, you. You then went through that merger, and it was a merger, wasn't it, of Hutchison Three in, back into or not back into into Vodafone. You know, the the, the two um, just came together in this marketplace.
0: Yes, it was it was very brave. It was very ambitious, and I you, you know it's it's good to be part of an ambitious project. I don't think we realised at the time how ambitious it was trying to merge two networks from a technology perspective Um, my role there was to I guess uh, primarily look at the merging two brands into one and they were two very different brands Um, in the Australian market three was very much more youth based uh, and challenger and challenger Vodafone was very much um, it was this international brand that had more of an enterprise uh, uh, segment to it um and I, so i i went through a a, a, a long process of, of working through a new brand strategy for vodafone um, but also was about also the big challenge i was merging two teams two cultures yeah uh, and building the right capabilities within the team
1: um, now if i remember rightly you were also during that time you took on the responsibility of creating or 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 consolidating the retail face of the Vodafone brand after that merger, didn't you? Yeah, so, you know,
0: advertising's very much, you know, I, I, I love advertising as an industry and storytelling. And I, I guess after we'd, we'd kind of got the foundations right for what the new Vodafone brand was looking like, um, it, we had to look at, I think we had 500 plus company owned stores for Vodafone and three what does the physical expression look like? Mm-hmm. How do these two brands present themselves to the Australian customer, um, in a way that appeals, um, to both, to both, uh, existing, co- both of those customer sets. Yeah. Um, so yes, absolutely went into that part of that discipline of, of, um, store design, um, how we brought our products to life. So learned a lot more, about. um, bringing to life our technology in those stores, working again with partners like Samsung and Apple
1: um, to create create spaces
0: to bring to life their... their, Yeah,
1: yeah. it's interesting because, you know, people talk about brand experience and then don't necessarily translate that into a retail experience. But I think that's one of the challenges, isn't it? What is the brand experience? You know, first of all for Hutchison, three, and then yeah you know, merging that into Vodafone yeah. and then what does that actually feel like yeah. in a physical space and then the big challenge is what's that feel like in an online space with e-commerce, yeah. And, and yeah, you know, how do you well, make the feeling of the brand actually translate into each of those? You know, the
0: the feeling of a brand can be emotion, and I uh, but it also can be functional. Yeah. So uh, if you take e-commerce first of all, so uh, so Amazon, one of the, obviously the 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 biggest e-commerce uh, retailer in the world, you know, they've got one of the highest MPSs. Why? Because it just product, works. it just works. <laughs> product <laughs> availability, works. and I get it the next day yeah. when I want it. If I want to take something back, it, it's simple. It's yeah. straightforward. I've got everything there. I've got subscriptions. I've got all of my account details. I've got all of my account yeah. history. So it works. So that's a functional uh, functional brand, a functional retailer. Uh, then you've got the likes of something like, if you think of a brand like Disney, which, again, would have been stores. But that's an emotional uh, connection so customers love disney
1: because they're connected to it emotionally um, and and the magic of disney is often is always reproduced in store you know the the experience when you walk in there it's like fantastical you know all the characters there the way it's presented the way the staff interact with the the customer it just has that feeling of being yeah. a special place you know it, you almost feel like it's a very small version of going to Disneyland or, or some, you know, the theme parks. Uh, well,
0: uh, there you go, and and that's what you want, no matter if it's a Disney store, National Geographic store, a Samsung store. You want customers to come in and go, wow, and the brand is being brought to life. So with Vodafone, we certainly did that with uh, our partners, but at a global level. Um, you know, I, I worked on amazing projects uh, in...
1: Yeah, because that's what Vodafone took you back to the UK, didn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, you went been. from Australia doing this role back to uh, a global role. Yep, I've been in London 10 years and uh, the global role
0: saw me uh, work across 25 different countries. Um, I spent a lot of time in the Netherlands, Germany, Spain, um, Turkey and... Um, you know, again, bringing that brand to life inside um, uh, inside different physical environments was, was my remit. Mm. Um, in the Netherlands, we did a, a, a B2B um, store, which was, um, we worked with Microsoft on that, uh, bringing to life their products, such as the Microsoft Cloud. We, yeah. At the time, we, you know, and we built these environments inside this, a uh, three hundred square meter store. Um, we 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 brought to life roaming across Europe by building a train yeah. like a mini Eurostar carriage uh, inside the store. Um, we did machined machine uh, technology, which at the, that's what we called it at the time, uh, which was IoT, but was showing uh, the capabilities between ordering a pizza off your phone and getting it delivered by a moped. Obviously, no, we call, we call that Uber Eats it's or Deliveroo. <laughs> uh, but this was in 2012 yeah, yeah.
1: uh, or well, 14. And that's, that's one of the things, you know, thinking but, of a technology company not just as providing a network, but actually providing the technology that makes it functional across that network. And makes your,
0: your life as a consumer or a business easier. Yeah. So, so the, a telco's role today can still be, well, how do we make somebody's life easier in their home? yeah uh, so remote working could be smart your kids homes, smart home yeah. uh managing your kids use of the internet um you know walking late at night uh wherever you might be going how you how you can have track uh, how you can have a tracker device uh, app um things like that so there's 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 multiple things that. Telcos still have a role to play in society and can inspire people to do to do more with the technology.
1: Trinity P3. What we've noticed, a lot of telcos globally said, "Well, we've got the pipes. What we need to do is buy a whole lot of content and ram it down the pipes, which is becoming a media company." Yeah, I think the following the path of a technology company. Is a lot more interesting because it opens up so many more verticals that you can then impact on. Okay, so so you're at Vodafone, you're back in the UK, you're working across multiple yeah. countries and doing retail. Then you go to a big box retailer, and look, yeah, B and Q is a big, successful, you know, home improvements, isn't that the category? Yes. Yeah, so there's three hundred stores across the UK
0: you know, turnover uh you know, seven hundred, eight hundred million 800 million uh, per year. Um it's big box retail, so everything similar to similar to Bunnings in Australia. Um so everything from your barbecues to your drills to uh, to your decking and your paints yep. Um B and Q were I guess uh, on the start of a brand transformation journey. And um you know again the way I look at brands uh, and look at brand planning and brand architectures from a long-term perspective what we want to look like. I repositioned the brand there under uh, Do It For Less, which was around everyday value. So we wanted to move away from um, every weekend having new deals to being, well actually how do we... Every day
1: of the week. Yeah, every day of the week. Um, so, so that, that was uh, our, uh, try and grow the uh, the weekly revenue by getting Monday to Friday to rise rather than having the weekend peaks drop. Huh? That that's right, and that and again, the reason for this was
0: because of we we're getting more sophisticated with loyalty and uh, understanding that uh, understanding customer behavior and understanding customer preferences in terms of product. So we we didn't have to do events every weekend to be able to. To target Darren Woolley and um, at certain times when it might be seasonal, when the sun's out, um, prompting him to paint his fence or or buy a new barbecue because he bought one three years ago, or the likes of kitchens where um, you might be on a on a fifteen to twenty five year uh, life cycle in terms of customers changing that out, but understanding that those customers then needed maybe to upgrade their taps or upgrade their. Their their cupboards, so you you and know moving again moving them through moving that, that moving right. them through that us managing that life cycle and yeah. segmenting our customers into into ways that we could start targeting them differently with marketing. So that was being Q
1: being uh, yeah lo- uh, love the because I was going to say you were there running marketing at yeah. being Q and then because uh, then COVID hit yeah and it hit particularly hard in the UK didn't yeah. it? yeah. Yeah, it was like yeah, yes, listen, yes, oh, there's I, this thing I, called COVID. Oh, hang on. Uh, are we going to shut down or not? Yeah, yeah. Being B- Q,
0: uh, we, we were already going through a digital transformation of our website, getting our capabilities enhanced online and also on our app. So th- that project was already in a good place. Um, but co- COVID uh, for any marketer was a hard time. And any marketing
1: leader was particularly hard. Um, so, well, it's the uncertainty, wasn't it? You know, because there wasn't any clear direction. Was this something that was going to last a couple of three weeks, weeks, months, yeah, or, or you know, three years? As yeah. it you know sort of turned out, it's very hard to make decisions with so many uncertainties. But it's good that you're in that place of already having well and truly commenced the transformation, because a lot of retailers had been dragging their feet on that then had to suddenly accelerate and pivot their their yeah, e-commerce and, and fulfilment strategies.
0: I, 100%. But I, I, and certainly we, it's all always about being as, as best planned as possible, mm. but also being agile. So I think at that time it taught us as well how, uh, how fast we could think in terms of click and collect and um, customers coming into your big car parks and we we set up different bays for them to collect their their goods yeah. um to be able to service them yeah the logistics, the logistics the logistics side of yeah. it and and that was incredible teamwork from a retail operations perspective and a marketing perspective and the guys on the ground so
1: um and then you went to decathlon that was at sort of the end of that 2020,
0: wasn't it? Yeah. So Decathlon is a sports retailer. It's one of the biggest sports retailers in the world. Uh, 12 billion pound turnover. Um, Decathlon was relatively unknown in the UK. And um, about 47 stores, been there 20 years. Wow. And I guess hadn't really, you know, it's, a, it's the incumbent in France. I think every, uh, I think a French person shops there once or sorry, just twice, twice a year. On average, um, in the UK, that wasn't the case. Um, so my job there was to was an appetite to invest in the brand, and again, I started off looking at well, how can we be single-minded with uh, what the catalan stands for in the UK? What's what's its purpose here? How is that different from France? Where are we on this brand-building journey? If mm. people don't know us, so you, you you know, very much started off that. That, that brand strategy piece with our board and relaunch the brand in the uk to be a fun family uh focused brand and um having every sport under one roof yeah um so you know to well to make it a destination i guess make it a destination 100 um make it a destination but 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 Top of mind is your KPI on that. So, so how do I drive a top top of mind awareness on the brand across the UK, which is highly complex market, sixty five million people. Um, uh, my budget, <laughs> my budget wasn't anywhere near our competitors. Uh, how do I do that on a on a lean budget? Mm-hmm. Um, so the targeting was 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 really uh, was something that I had to get right uh, where I distributed our. Our funds, um, you know, focusing at,
1: and 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 what products I advertise in different places of the UK. Because um, there's an argument that if you have bricks and mortar, compared to just being e-commerce, that you have a physical presence in the, in the world, that that makes it easier to be a destination. But that's. Not necessarily true. You still have to be top of mind, don't you? Just having bricks and mortars like having a storefronts like having a big outdoor poster that says, look at our brand. But there's still got to give people a reason for thinking it, about it. It, it. it all has to work, darn. So
0: it's back to that that analogy you used there for, that you talked about for Amazon. So I, I, if, I, I, if I see a billboard talking about a kayak and it's a nice summer's day, well, okay, I, m- I might decide I want to go kayaking this weekend but the availability has to be there online or in-store and it has to be delivered to me within 24 hours. Mm. Otherwise, I'm gonna to go to your competitor. Yeah. So, so everything had to, you know, we the we, we, decathlon of the last two, three years, we have went on a, a, a tremendous growth um, journey in terms of logistics and, and warehouse cap, um, capacity yeah. uh, to be able to service those customers and to be able to compete with the elephants in the room like, yeah. like Amazon.
1: Because it's no point making a brand promise and being top of mind unless you can fulfill on it. It's the fastest way to lose a customer's life. Uh,
0: 100% or come in store and you don't have any staff uh, to be
1: able to service the customer. Or any products. Or any any ability to get it to them.
0: That's 100% right. And that's why, again, uh, to my earlier point, you've got to remain agile as, as a marketer in retail because you've got to move... Sometimes your retail, so your media spend, depend around the country depending on where there is availability of stock and weather. So the UK it also is, you know, the weather up in Scotland can be very, very different to Southampton.
1: Mm, exactly. Um, so I'm just um, wondering. I'm listening to you, Chris, and I'm thinking to myself. I'm wondering if it's your early interest in economics, and and because economics is the study of commercial and financial systems, isn't it? Yeah. Whether it's that that's always seemed to attracted you to that interface where money exchanges hands, you know, you've always had this retail focus, whether it was in telco, media or, or, or pure retail, is, it, is that the part of this that you like, is, is putting strategies in place and actually seeing virtually instant results or instant feedback? You know, economics It's it's demand and supply and it's about
0: under and the demand comes from understanding your customer yeah so you, you know market uh you know where, where I start in any role is market orientation you, you know why does a customer want to what does the customer want what, what why is there a need for this product has this just been um, fantasized by, by a product team and sometimes that that's right but hopefully it's been based on, on, on actual customer insight and living and, 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 and testing products with customers. So I think my instant, um, um, you know, I like to see results instantly, and I guess with, you, you know, we're always looking at, uh, um, you know, if I always look at marketing, it, as it should be, as 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 topping up the funnel. Mm-hmm. So so and when you're when marketing teams are speaking with their 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 sales and commercial counterparts, you should always be thinking about well, um, marketing always has to be doing the job of awareness, mm-hmm. where that's the, what what the message and driving is dri- driving that consideration piece. So we're always topping that up. Think mm-hmm. of it like a bucket. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're you're topping up the bucket in terms of customers thinking of your brand yeah. Th- then you have to have the product right and you have to have the, the price right and it has to be available
1: mm. um and your sales colleagues have to come to the so party the middle and the lower part of the funnel you need to make sure that you've got the products people are looking for that's right and, and can fulfill on that
0: so, so that's where i guess
1: you you know yeah, if i am
0: analytical and i guess i'm always looking at I I use my economics background to
1: look at customers, is what I'd say. Trinity P three. The other, um, the other interesting link, and we couldn't have a conversation, Chris, about uh, retail without talking about the rise of retail media. You know, we've seen major retailers, not just in Australia but around the world, Mm. starting to identify the opportunities that they can provide. Manufacturers with actually providing advertising inside the retail environments, both yep. online and and in bricks and mortar stores, and and that must be of interest to you, with your career starting in yep. media and now with so much of your time in retail. What what are you seeing is happening? You're 100 right. I love this space because again, it's about it's about footfall,
0: um, traffic, and it's about eyeballs to your website. And you know some websites. If it's an everyday retailer, um, you're getting you're getting millions and millions of customers there every day looking at your website. Um, you know, if I, again, if I use the example of a grocery store, and I'm and I'm looking at you know my mince beef, my uh, on the website. How does that promote to me? Uh, Brillo pasta brands or a Delmeo's, um tomato sauce with it. Yeah. Um, how do I sell that as media space, uh, as banner ads? Um, so absolutely, that's really, really important. And I guess what retailers have to do now is uh, relook at their platforms and 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 start seeing that as as a revenue opportunity. I think that's very, very important um, in these cost
1: conscious times that we're in. Um, yeah, well, it's an opportunity as well to for manufacturers to actually then influence that moment, what's called the moment of truth, when the customer's actually in the store and reaching out yep. to select a product in a category. Yep. All the work that you've done building brand recognition and brand desirability and consideration comes down to the person, do they choose product A, B or C? And I remember a um, a uh, marketer in alcoholic beverages who said the salespeople always tell me we have to make sure we look after the salesperson in store hmm. because they have such an influence over customers' decisions. If the customer doesn't have a clear brand preference, they'll usually turn to the salesperson and say, which one do you recommend? Yeah. And that is incredibly powerful. In some ways, uh, retail media or retail advertising is an opportunity to actually remind the customer of, of your messages yeah. around your brand Rem- at that point.
0: Remind them and, uh, and reinforce that message.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I really like that idea. I, I think um, people are, are, are probably a bit cynical about you know how effective that's going to be. But I'm sure Google, if they could put search at point of sale, they well they do they have it yeah. on the phone don't they?
0: No, <laughs> well, I I I think it's it's um if my advice to any marketer out there if you if you haven't started this part of your digital transformation journey, uh, it, uh, it it's an area of focus um for both for both the marketing area and the sales area, um and absolutely you can it, it's not just the website it's not just in store it's also. Uh, it's also your your life cycle of being able to email customers directly. Mm. Um, so you're, you're, you, when you then start to sell your retail media, it's it's your e-commerce uh, advertising formats, it's your in-store screens, it's promotion in-store, it's EDMs. Yeah. I think email. it's going
1: to be particularly challenging for consumer packaged goods, right? Because they'll often have a marketing department mm. and then a retail sales team. Yeah. And those two operate quite separately. What retail media requires is of them to work together because you need to look at it as extending all of that work you've done in building brand preference into that retail environment. And that's not just the salespeople. That's actually a marketing function. And the two have to go hand in hand. And ultimately, you need to be thinking about the customer and what's useful to them. So, so trade marketing which used to be the thing that was just hanging mm. off the sales team now becomes part of core marketing capabilities doesn't it all right um it's been fantastic having this cam- conversation Chris thanks for uh for making the time I know you're uh, busy having lots of uh meetings and uh, conversations around uh around retailing, advertising, marketing. So thanks for uh, popping by and having the chat. Darren, thank you, good to see you. Uh, One last question before you go. With uh, so much of your career in retailing, what's the retail brand that Chris Gilroy could not do without?